Most of us have no memory of the two most important days of our lives. The second most important day was the day we were born, and we certainly remember nothing of that event. But the first and most important day of our lives was the date of our baptism. Most of us, because we were baptized as infants, have no recollection of that day either. But it's true. Our baptism really was more important than our birth. The natural life that we received at birth was destined to peter out in a few years because our human nature was mortally wounded by original sin. Through that first sin of Adam and Eve, it was unplugged from the source of life, unplugged from God. It was just spinning by momentum, like a fan after you unplug it from the wall. But when we were baptized, we were plugged back in, and the empty shell of our natural life was filled with supernatural grace. God adopted us forever as members of his family, and this is why St. Paul praises baptism so highly in the second reading. By baptism, he writes to the Colossians, we were buried with Christ who died for our sins, and we were raised with him who rose to give us eternal life. So baptism was the beginning of our eternal life. And the most amazing thing about it is that we didn't do anything at all. The most important event in our lives was not something that we did. Rather, it was not a personal achievement. Rather, it was something that God did for us. It was God touching our souls with his grace, configuring our lives, our souls to him. As St. Paul writes, we were dead. We were sinners, completely helpless to plug ourselves back into friendship with God. But God came to our rescue. Entirely on his own initiative, working through our parents' love and the ministry of his church, God the Father brought us back to life in Jesus Christ, his Son. The greatness of a Christian doesn't come from our own natural talents and achievements. It comes from the much higher life of friendship with God that Christ won for us and that God freely gives to us at baptism. And that is the life of grace. And there's a beautiful analogy for this on one of the most memorable architectural features of the city of Rome. And if you've been there, you certainly know it. It's its fountains. In the 1600s, the Holy See commissioned Gian Lorenzo Bernini and his disciples to create a series of monumental, dramatically sculptured fountains to decorate the most important piazzas throughout the city. Now these fountains, like the Four Rivers in Piazza Navona, or the Triton Fountain at Piazza Barberini, and of course, the Trevi Fountain, which is probably the most easily hearkened to mind, these fountains turn the ordinary and abundant elements of water and stone into something of supreme artistic beauty. They don't sit immobile and static in their plazas, but rather they erupt as if they're moving into this great dynamism and spectacle. So the huge Trevi Fountain remains hidden. It remains hidden until one is right in front of it, 
It takes you by surprise when you come around the corner down a very, very narrow street to get there, and it's overwhelmingly beautiful. Now, the Four Rivers, this fountain amazes you by the sudden appearance of this big black obelisk that appears to be like levitating or hovering weightlessly above this huge pool of water. So these fountains were designed before the advent of tourism. So what were they there for? They were meant to be an entrance to enhance the experience of the Christian pilgrim who came to Rome to renew their faith. So by this, the pilgrim's amazing transformation, when they would arrive in the holy city, they would see these simple stone and water turn into a magnificent and awe-inspiring masterpiece. So the fountains of Rome are meant to encourage Christians to trust in the power of God's grace. That grace transforms our fallen, limited human nature into something divine, making us into children of God and citizens of heaven. And so every baptized Christian is meant to be for the world what Bernini's fountains are, to a much lesser extent, meant to be for the city of Rome. Our Christian life began at baptism, on God's initiative, when God poured his saving grace into our souls. And the more this life develops within us, the more we will become what we were created to be. We were created to be children of God, children who resemble their father. St. Paul lists the fruits of this mature life of grace in his letter to the Galatians, where he writes that life in the spirit yields love and joy and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. I'm sure we'd all like all of these things to be a greater share in our own lives. And we can have it. We can have a greater share in all of those things that St. Paul mentioned if we depend on the grace of God working in our lives and allow that grace to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now in today's self-help self world, we often fall into the heresy of activism, thinking that we can make ourselves perfect by our own power. We can't. We just can't. We need God's grace. We needed that grace at the start of our Christian life and we continue needing it all the way throughout the course of our lives. Why else would Jesus have taught us to pray for God's help as he did in the gospel today? Why else would he have promised us that those who ask will receive? So we need to listen for God's help constantly and confidently and persistently. We need to be humble Christians. We need to remember that if Jesus taught us to address God as Father, that means that we are little children. And so today, let's thank God for the gift of his grace, the gift of his presence, the gift of his promise to hear our prayers and to help us grow into mature Christians that he longs for us to be, that we should be longing to be. And when he comes to us in the Eucharist as we make our Holy Communions, Let's nourish the life that he planted in our souls at baptism. 
And let's promise him that we will always stick right by his side and never again try to go it alone.